us pray. Lord, we thank you that we can praise you, that we can give all glory to you and honor to you. And Lord, we just pray that this morning as we open up your word, we'd study and learn to see that we need to fear you more than man. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. So I'm going to start off by warning you, usually when we show videos and stuff like that, I get to watch them during the week. So when I get a little emotional, I've kind of prepared myself. That video I didn't get to watch. So if I'm starting off a little bit more emotional this morning, it's, I I guess I don't really apologize. I think it's good. But it's just incredible to see what I'm teaching on today. And then when you watch something like that, Sometimes I feel like I just look at myself and I go, what is wrong with you, Ryan? (laughs) So if you see, the title of the sermon today is, Why Do I Care What People Think? And um, Sean told me a couple weeks ago, he said his prayer is always before he starts kind of prepping a sermon. He said he prays that God preaches the sermon to him first, and then he can preach it to the congregation. I'm just going to start off by telling you, God has been preaching this extensively to me. And I used to, I don't know if it was a lie that was told to me or if it was just something dumb that I came up in my mind. I used to always think that worrying what people think actually gets easier over time. Like as you get older, you don't care as much what people think. If you're anything like me, I'm getting worse. I'd love to go back to the days of high school where I didn't care as much as I do now. But to start off this morning, I'm going to hit on your fear of man just a little bit too, but I'm going to need, I want some show of hands. So I'm going to make you raise your hand in front of other people here, or you're going to lie. So we're going to, right off the bat, we're going to see who you're really afraid of. So by a show of hands, I have some questions I want to ask you. How many people here have had times in their lives where they really care what people think about them? Okay. How many of you have ever bowed to peer pressure to make either a good or bad decision? Okay. How many of you have ever been overcommitted in life because you have trouble telling people you can't do something because you're worried they will be upset with you? How many, would you, how many of you would describe yourself as a people pleaser? And then one last one. How many of you have ever sat there and thought, why do I care so much what this person thinks of me? Okay, I started off with those because I can honestly tell you I have said yes to every one of those. And truthfully, I have probably said yes, I could say yes to every one of those in the last six months. So this is not preached to you as a sermon of somebody who's got it all figured out. This is actually preached more as someone who probably needs to be sitting and listening to this more than anybody else. My whole life, I have cared what people have thought about me. Sometimes that's good. Sometimes it's bad. I was very, as far as I know, was very well liked when I was in high school got along with everybody, was nice to everybody. I 
can't say it was the most spiritual reason for it all the time. A lot of times it was just, I wanted to be liked. And so the best way to be liked is to do things for people and to be kind in most situations. And so some of the times it's been good. But as I've been getting older, I've noticed that I find myself saying more and more often, I'm a people pleaser. And the reason I asked if you've ever called yourself that is because calling yourself a people pleaser is a kind way to make it sound good, right? Well, to say that I'm a people pleaser, that just means I want people to be happy. I want, I want to make sure nobody's upset. I want to take care of people. I want to... People-pleasing is nowhere in Scripture. That term is found nowhere in Scripture. And in fact, what we're going to look at this morning is the actual term that is used is fear of man. Now, when we say fear of man, that's got a lot stronger weight behind it. When you say fear of man, now, well, I don't, I don't want to be afraid of people. I don't want to care. No, no, I'm Brian. I'm not, I'm not afraid of people. I'm just, I'm a people pleaser. Well, my hope today, as we look through this, we're going to look at a scripture. So if you've got your Bible, you can turn to Jeremiah 17. And as you're turning there, I'm going to say, what we're going to do is we're going to dive into a text. And in this text, we're going to see how a person who has the fear of man lives their life. And a person who's got the fear of the Lord lives their life. And then if you see in the message notes, as we kind of go through it, we're going to try to combat fear of man with some steps. Because it's really easy to stand up here and say, well, you shouldn't care what people think. But in reality, all of us do. All of us care. If you're the person that 100% doesn't care what people think, you tend to be one of those people that says whatever's on your mind and people don't want to be around you. Because you tend to be kind of mean. So if you sit here and say, oh, well, this sermon's not for me, I don't care what people think, then maybe, maybe think, well, let's look at this from a pride angle. Maybe there's a reason why. So Jeremiah 17, verses 5 to 8, says, Thus says the Lord, Cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength, whose heart turns away from the Lord. He is like a shrub in the desert and shall not see any good come. He shall dwell in the parched places of the wilderness and in an uninhabited salt land. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. He is like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream and does not fear when he comes, for its leaves remain green and is not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. Now, I don't know how many of you the week before you look, we, if you look at your message notes, we always have a text and then the questions for the next week. And if you looked at last week's, the questions that I want to address are fairly similar, but the text is completely different. And that's just because as I was preparing and studying this week, I felt drawn more to this one. I felt this is more helping us look at the fear of man. So the first thing we have to address is what is the fear of man? What is the actual idea of it? Simply put, the fear of man is when you care more about what other people think of you than what God thinks of you. 
when you worry more about how they perceive you than what God is actually going to feel about you. Break it down even more, simply put, simply put, fear of man is idolatry. You are elevating someone, something over God. And so as we start looking through it, the first couple of verses are what happens when you fear man, and the last couple of verses are what happens when you fear God. So the first thing it says is it says, cursed is the man who trusts in man. Right off the bat, we see some pretty strong language here. Cursed. It doesn't say, oh, well, you'd be better off if you didn't care what people thought. It doesn't say you'd, be, you'd have an easier life if you don't care what people think. He says, if you put your strength in man, if you fear them, cursed. And so that's why the first point that I wanted to make here is that we have to realize that the fear of man is a sin and needs to be dealt with. And now that should seem like something we understand. I don't know very many people who, when they're struggling what people think about them, they're like, ah, I don't really care that I, I care so much about this. No, most of the time people say, I know that this is something I shouldn't. I know I've done that so many times in my mind where I just sit there and I go, God, I have all the answers. I've counseled enough people. I know exactly what the scripture says. Why am I still struggling? Why do I still care? And it just seems like it's not connecting. It just seems like I can't get it figured out. And I say I'm going to work on it. But then what happens is, over time, the situation kind of somewhat takes care of itself. And I don't work on it. I just say, well, okay, now I feel a lot better. I'm not struggling so much. God, my life can get back to normal now. And God here and in all throughout scripture does not mince words with the fact that it needs to be dealt with. It needs to be fixed. But then he moves on here and he says, Cursed is a man who trusts in man and makes his flesh his strength, whose heart turns away from the Lord. Second point that we got to take from this is you cannot have the fear of man and the fear of the Lord. Sometimes we think, okay, well, if I struggle with this, I struggle with the fear of man. I care too much what people think, but I still want to serve God. And so as long as God's just a little bit higher, then I'm okay. Here he says, if you fear what man thinks of you, if you put your trust in man, you put your trust in your flesh, your heart will turn away from God. Because the fact of the matter is, at some point, the fear of man and the fear of God are going to conflict with each other. I heard a pastor use this as an example. And he said, it's kind of like 
I'm, I'm making it my own example here, but it's kind of like if I walk up to you and I say I want to fight you. Some of you might be scared of me, probably not very many. Let's just say I'm not very frightening, but say you are scared of me and you run away. Then all of a sudden, this other guy walks up. He's seven foot, he's 400 pounds, he's all muscle. And he walks up and says, you have a choice. You fight Ryan or you fight me. Now, all of a sudden, you're not as scared of me. You're still a little bit afraid, but you realize one of the two of these is going to severely beat me up. And I don't think that one is Ryan. And that's what it means when it's the fear of man and the fear of God. You're going to have to fight one of them. Which one are you choosing to fight? Are you going to fight the fear of man, which there's still a part that it's not easy. It's still hard. You still care what people think. You still want so badly to be liked. But if that is your ultimate focus, at some point you're going to have to fight God. And that is a battle you will not win. So then he goes on in verse 6 here, and now he's describing what exactly it looks like. He describes the person and he says, he's like a shrub in the desert and shall not see any good come. He shall dwell in the parched places of the wilderness in an uninhabited salt land. So that's the next point. The fear of man will destroy your life. Now, it might sound excessive. That might sound like I'm making a big deal of just caring what people think. But he uses words here to describe what your life looks like if you are going to fear man. It's like a shrub in the desert. Not a whole lot of plants that live out in the desert. There's some. And there's some that can make it with very little water. But most are just not going to make it. And then he says he dwells in parched places in the wilderness. It's this idea, and he says, in an uninhabited salt land. It's this idea of your life feeling empty. And if you don't agree with that, think about this for a second. I want you to think back to the last time that you were worried about what someone thought of you. So think back whether you were worried that someone was upset at you, family member, customer, employer, any of that stuff. Think about it. Did that thought not take over your life for that short period of time? Did you not have most of the joy in your life sucked out? Some of you, did you not feel yourself losing your appetite or sleep? I've had every one of those happen with me because I thought someone was upset with me. And maybe I'm the only one and maybe you'll walk out of here and say, well, Ryan, that was a great sermon for yourself. But I'm sure I'm not. I'm sure I'm not the only one here who when they think someone is upset or they think someone thinks they made a bad decision, all they can think about is that person is upset with them all the time. Have you ever thought about the fact that when you are worried what someone thinks, 
you imagine in your mind that they're just sitting in their house stewing over you? I have learned more and more that people don't think about me nearly as much as I think that they think about me. But when you think someone's mad, it just feels like every time you see them that they're, they won't have a smile on their face. Or every time you see them, all they're doing is thinking about how much they hate you. And in some cases, maybe that's the case. But in reality, for most of us, that person doesn't think about you 99% of the time during the week. Most times they're probably more indifferent towards you than they are upset. But he uses imagery, imagery here to say, if you're going to worry so much what people think, you will have so many times in your life where you will have no joy, where you will feel like you're floundering, where you will feel like there's no hope in sight. And that's why I said this morning before to start off with that video, just makes me feel like a complete idiot. Like I I sit here and I lose sleep and I get upset and I have troubles because someone might be mad at me. When there's people waking up around the world that have no idea if they're going to make it through the day. You know, in Matthew, it says, blessed are you when they persecute you for righteousness sake. And it sits there and it it tells us, you should consider yourself lucky when you go through things for doing what's right. Because I know in my life, I've always had the idea of like, okay, if I've screwed up, if I've made a mistake, I understand if you're mad at me. I understand if I've done the wrong thing that I deserve it. I understand if I was a jerk, I deserve it. But if I'm kind to you, you should not be mad at me. If I've treated you the best I could, you should be happy with me. And I guess it's my age as I've gotten older and older, I'm realizing, well, that's a lie. People get mad at you for doing the right thing. People get mad at you for doing the wrong thing. People get mad at you for a whole bunch of reasons. And so he says, When it feels like you're in an uninhabited salt land, when you're struggling with what people think of you, it feels like you are all alone. I have an amazing wife who does so much for me, but when I'm struggling, she can't even fix it. I sit there and I go, okay, I know you love me. I know the kids love me. But it'd be much easier if everybody else just loved me too. Life would be so much easier if you all just loved me and I could just move on with life. But that's not life. That's not how it works. And so now he's going to flip. And he's going to use the next two verses to describe what happens when you trust in the Lord, which means your fear is in the Lord. He says, blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. He's like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream and does not fear when heat comes for its leaves remain green and is not anxious in the year of the drought for it does not cease to bear fruit. 
So he starts off there, and the first thing he says is, if you fear what people think, you're cursed. If you fear what the Lord thinks, you're blessed. Those are polar opposites. Your life will be different when you fear the Lord. And then he says, not only do you fear the Lord, you, whose trust in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. We're actually going to come back to that in a second as I have a, a different point that I'm going to make with that. But then he starts to talk about a tree. And he talks about a tree who's not in the desert. He talks about a tree who's firmly planted next to a river. Fear of the Lord brings stability to our lives. It's not just, well, we should fear God because he's God and because we should have faith and trust in him. And that that is a huge part of it, and that is something we'll talk about in a minute. But it's also the idea of when you fear God more than others, your life will go better. Now, it doesn't mean you're not going to be persecuted. It doesn't mean you're not going to go through pain. It doesn't mean you're going to have struggles, but you will be better equipped to handle those struggles. You see, the tree here, it's firmly planted by water, so it doesn't worry about where it's getting its water from. And then it says, because it knows where it's watered from, because it's got its roots by the stream, when the heat comes... Its leaves remain green. It's not anxious when there's a drought. And it doesn't stop bearing fruit. Now, if you're like me and you really struggle with this, the idea of not fearing, of having stability, of being able to make it through trials is incredible. We don't fear those things because we know where the true power is. Just imagine, again, going back to the example of me trying to fight you. And you say, okay, well, I'm going to fight Ryan. And then the big guy says, okay, great. Now that you chose him, I'm going to help you beat him up. Now, all of a sudden, you're not even the least bit scared. You were pretty sure you could take me on your own, but now you got help. And so you're like, okay, this is done. This is over. That's what God does. God doesn't just say, choose one or the other. You're going to fight one or the other. He says, okay, if you're going to fight that one, now I'm helping you. I'm going to bring that stability. Do we have that kind of confidence in our lives? Do we have that kind of confidence in God? The person who's got the fear of man doesn't worry about these things because they know God will take care of them. Now, again, like I said earlier, you want to make sure you don't fall into one of the two ditches when it comes to fear. One is you completely fall into the side of fear of man. You don't have any trust. The other is you fall on the side of, I don't care at all what people think about me, and I'm going to do what I want. It's not how we're called to live either. We're called to use our confidence in God to reach people. 
that confidence doesn't make us feel like we can say whatever we want. It makes us know that we can give it all to him. So now I want to get to the question, how do we deal with the fear of man? Because sometimes, like I said at the beginning, sometimes it's very, very easy to just sit here and say, something's a sin, stop it. It's like, okay, well, how do I stop it, Ryan? I know you're right. I know that I shouldn't feel this way. What are some ways that we can combat it? And again, I tell you, I can give you all of these and then God's the one that takes it and works on your heart. Because I know all of these and I still many times find myself saying, why do I care so much? So the first one is, our hope must be in the Lord. So when you look back at the text and you see here, it says, blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. So that's kind of a confusing part there. What does that mean? Whose trust is the Lord? Well, that word can also be somewhat interchangeably used with the word hope. Blessed is the man who puts his trust in the Lord and whose hope is the Lord. Meaning the first way you combat the fear of man is realizing and trying as much as you can to get in your mind. In the grand scheme of things, this doesn't matter because what matters more is the fact that I know where I'm going to end up. I know that the worst thing this person can do to me, the worst thing is physically kill me and I get to go to heaven. That's the worst that can possibly happen to me. They have no more control over me. And if I fear and I have my hope in the Lord, they should have no control over me, even in the here and now. We fear God and we put our hope in him, not just because of all the things that he's done in the past, but because we have faith and confidence that he is in charge. We have faith and confidence in that no matter what we're going through, he is not surprised. He knows it was going to happen and he's there to be with us to deal with it. So now the next thing. Be grateful for the good things. And what I mean by that is so often when we're struggling in life, that takes all of our focus. And we have no joy because we see no good in our lives. I tell people all the time when I'm working with them, and when we're talking about caring what people think, and when we're talking about just struggling in life, one of the greatest things you can do is just list out all the great things that God has already done in your life. I notice that one of the things that happens to me when I'm really struggling with what other people think, one of the good things that comes from it is I become so much more grateful for my wife and my kids. 
because I see that they love me and that they're there for me and that they won't leave me. And I become so much more grateful for God in my life that he will never leave me. But the only way you're going to do that is you have to physically list out what God has done in your life. You need to write out the good things. When I was in college, the one class I took, we had to write a gratitude journal. And it was, the the class was a little bit of a tightened one, so it was six weeks. And we had to write five things that we were thankful for every day. And we could not repeat. That is lot of stuff. So I found myself starting off with like family. Well, then I realized, okay, I can't say family. Like I got to come up with five. So I got to say wife, my kids, like I have to list each one individually. And it got to the point after two, three weeks, like you're being thankful for stuff. Weird as it sounds, one of my thankful things was toilet paper. You don't realize what a blessing that is in your life. Grass, sky, clouds, like you're just, you're sitting here and you're like, okay, God, what else am I supposed to be thankful for? What else? And you find yourself going, holy cow. At the end of the class, when you looked at all this stuff and you're like, did I really not repeat anything? Could I spend almost six straight weeks every day writing five things out? How can I not feel like God has been there for me? If I would have listed out all the bad things, it would have been even harder to come up with things. To come up with that many bad things in my life, I've led a pretty cushy life. So you have to take the time to realize that God has blessed you so much. So the next one is just a practical one that I wrote down too. Don't speak about others to make yourself feel better. Now you might sit here and go, what in the world does that have to do with fear of man? Proverbs 26.20 says, without wood, a fire goes out. Without gossip, a coral dies down. I don't know about you, but when I feel like someone's mad at me, my tendency is I want to go talk to five or six other people who are going to be on my side and say that that person is wrong. Because now I'm starting to feel a little bit better about myself. Because I want to know that I'm right, they're wrong, they're a terrible person, I'm a wonderful person. And how am I going to get that? I'm going to talk to people who are going to be on my side. You ever had someone in your life who when you start to talk to them, they take the side of the other person and you're just kind of like, that's not what I was looking for. I wasn't looking for you to calm me down. We've got this thing in our, in our marriage with me and, me and my wife that for both of us, because I'm a fixer, I want to fix problems. And so whenever she feels like she needs to vent, my problem was I always felt like I needed to fix it. So I would always take the side of the other person to try to convince her why the person's really not being that bad. And I learned pretty quickly that that just comes across as I'm not on your side. And so we've got this thing now where if she's struggling, she wants to talk through something, I say, okay, 
do you want me to fix the problem or do you want me to listen? Before we even start the conversation. And she tells me what she wants. And I know where I'm supposed to be in that conversation then. If I'm supposed to just listen, I keep my mouth shut. If I'm supposed to fix it, then I start thinking through, what am I going to say? What am I going to say? Now, to my wife's credit, almost every time after she's done venting, she goes, okay, now you can fix it. So we almost always finish that way. But our tendency is we want someone to just be on our side. That's not fixing the fear of man. That's actually making it worse. Now, not only am I worried about what this person thinks, I'm worried about these five over here who had nothing to do with the situation to begin with. The last one here that I wanted to touch on is you have to re- we have to renew our mind in God's word. So now you're probably sitting here and it's like, okay, great. He's just telling me I need to read my Bible and I need to pray more because those are always the church answers. There's a reason why those are always the church answers because they're the most help. And when you're really struggling, sometimes we say they're not the most help. But I want you to seriously think about how much time do we spend in the Bible? Most of us would say that we need to spend more time in it. I don't know very many people I've ever talked to and they're like, I'm good. I spend a lot of time in the Bible. It's all I do. Most people, it's, yeah, I I miss some days here and there and I should do more and I should be more plugged in and I should pray more and I should do all of that. Think about it from a child's perspective. If you're a child, you're around your parents almost all the time. And as you're around them, one of two things happen. You start to trust them more because you've seen their their life and you see how they act and you see how they live. Or you start to realize that you can't trust them because you've seen their life and you've seen their actions. Why would it be any different with God? How do I expect to have more of a fear of the Lord without actually learning more and more about God? Now, I'm not talking about when you're really struggling and you're like, oh, I'm struggling so badly. And man, when I'm struggling, I dive in the word deep and I'm in there. I'm not just talking about that. Yes, when you're struggling, that's that's a good time to do it. But the better time to do it is when you're not struggling. But that's not usually what we do. We dive into the Bible and we pray and we give God everything. And we're like, man, I'm so close to God. I'm so close to God. And then the situation works itself out. And we stop doing what we were doing. How do we expect to honestly have a strong walk with God when we're not willing to put in the time and energy? But as I wrap up this morning, there's one thing I want to finish with. If you truly want to see change in your life, you've got to get to know the Father in the good times and the bad. But that is not the only reason you get to know God. There's Edward Welch. He wrote a book called When People Are Big and God is Small. It's actually a really, really good book. We have it in our library. It's a very good book on how to deal with peer pressure, codependency, all of that. But he's got a quote in there. 
And he says, Jesus did not die to increase our self-esteem. Rather, Jesus died to bring glory to the Father by redeeming people from the curse of sin. I know we sit here and we talk about God helps us with the fear of man, and he works, and he helps us work on that, but that is not the only reason we get to know God. Christ did not die on the cross so you could feel better about yourself. Christ died on the cross to take away our sin. He died on the cross to show us what our value is in him. So when we are struggling so badly, we've got to take our eyes off of ourselves and elevate them to God. Doesn't mean that we don't look at our lives and say, man, there's some things I can work on. But our tendency is when we're struggling, we want to just make ourselves feel better and that'll take care of the problem. That doesn't take care of the problem. We have to realize more and more who God is. Now, if I can ask you to stand, and we're going to have the worship team close in a song, and I'll close this in prayer. God, we thank you that even though we struggle with what caring, uh, what people think about us, and even though it's something we shouldn't, and it's something that we should have a better strength and grasp on, Lord, that you still never leave us. God, I pray that for anybody in here, myself included, that struggles with the fear of man and struggles so badly with what we think or what other people think and what other people care about us, Lord. I pray that you would help us take the steps necessary to find our value in you, in you alone, Lord. We thank you. In Jesus' name.